Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, our town has an incredible park system and so many beautiful outdoor spaces, but they're not always welcoming to every Pittsburgher. I'm with someone who wants to make our great outdoors a lot more inclusive. It's Monday, April 17th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm here with Marcus Schaffner, the founder of the Outdoor Inclusion Coalition here in Pittsburgh. Marcus, thanks for meeting me downtown. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the time. Uh, Happy to be in this space with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, So we are sitting in one of Pittsburgh's oldest high rises, um, but let's pretend for a minute Mm -hmm. that we're somewhere else. Can you describe for me your perfect day outdoors in or around Pittsburgh? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, Frick Environmental Center, for sure. I love sitting out on the patio of... Uh, the environmental center and looking into the trees. Uh, there's plenty of natural habitat there, especially the birds. Um, you can say I'm like slightly interested in birding. So. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. What is it about, you know, Frick Park and the spaces outdoor here in Pittsburgh that do speak to you? Because we have like this really rich environmental kind of atmosphere. Um, but, you know, as you know, well know, it's not always as accessible to everyone in the way that we want it to be. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy here in Pittsburgh because I think you know, the amount, the sheer size and quantity of public access land. (laughs) So they say in Pittsburgh is pretty high, but uh, quality wise, there's a a great discrepancy. The things that appeal to me specifically is some of these regional parks that transcend multiple neighborhoods uh, and the intersections of people to meet in a common space, hopefully uh, to speak, to recreate and to to commune in a space that uh, historically hasn't been representative of everyone. But it provides so much, you know, social, emotional learning of yourself, but also just the health benefits, you know, uh, quality air, quality water, uh, quality recreation is, is important for all of us to succeed. So, yeah, I mean, I hear your skepticism when you say, you know, so they say public <laughs> access. What do you feel like is missing here in the city? You know, what do you want to see more of, less of? Yeah, uh, well, I think for me, proximal quality experiences is important you know something in your backyard that looks like everybody else's backyard but capitalizing on uh the natural amenity in that space you know i think everyone deserves a playground but not every playground is going to look the same but it should be of quality yeah um but i also think that exploration comes in many types and forms um there should be connections to our regional parks our state parks our national parks uh, and that's, that comes in multiple different forms of public transit, but also just safe access ways to get there uh, through multimodal transportation, like a bike, <laughs> to, to preserve <laughs> our spaces. Um, but that's important, and not every neighborhood has that. So 
Well, I've seen you talk about how, um, you know, in our nation's most populated cities, non-white neighborhoods in particular have so much less park acreage. I think it was 44% nationally. You've lived outside of Pittsburgh. Um, mm. How do you find the city stacks up, you know, compared to something like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Pittsburgh has a ton of of resources. Like, you know, if you think of public access lands, I mean, I think Pennsylvania as a state is in the top 10. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a ton of statistics that just states that if you can get there, <laughs> we have it type of ordeal. And that comes But that's in. a big barrier. That's around a huge here. barrier. We've got a lot to boast about and to speak about, but we just have to improve the way that people connect to those spaces. So Yeah. I mean, there are, as you said, a ton of parks all over the city, um, but they don't always yeah. get the resources you think they need. Yeah. Um, you know, Homewood, Bells Hoover, Spring Hill, Hill District. Um, there was a Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy analysis that like pinpointed those in particular sure. and said like they need a lot more than others. Like just giving an an equal distribution of resources is not enough. You need an equitable one. Exactly. Uh, you know, because you think of Riverview Park as a great example with landslide mitigation. Like, it's, there's Have a lot. Have they fixed that road back there? Because it's been uh, like in pieces yeah. and covered by traffic cones for the better part of three years. <laughs> it's finally it's finally fixed, but I can yes. say that, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, landslides are something that are inevitable, but it has to be intentional mitigation strategies in place to preserve these spaces. Like, you know, simply put, you know, a one-way road of that type that goes away, like that's half the community that has inaccessibility to a park, so. Yeah, you're uh, in a real pickle if you don't have that road. No doubt, yeah. And just the road is one piece, but there's a lot of other things that need to be in place, especially tree coverage. Uh, yeah, that pool, you will get uh, sunburned in, uh, real quick out no there. Doubt, <laughs> there's no nothing doubt. to guard you. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a, it's a gym. Like, I couldn't recommend more for people to go and see this space because in, in all forms of recreation, it's top tier. Just no one knows about it. If you like mountain biking, it has one of the highest drops in the state of Pennsylvania. I didn't know that. Uh, for, yeah, for mountain biking. So, I mean, there's... I've tried running it, though, and my calves did not appreciate it. If you like trail running, you know, there's a little bit more of a challenge. There's a lot of things that are that are of importance to the recreation community in that space. We just got to preserve it. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. 
Well, I want to talk about a little bit of the organization itself and kind of how you got started with that. Um, I hear it was spun out of Venture Outdoors. Um, They're an older organization in our city. You started as their director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, What was that experience like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a great experience. I think for me, uh, creating a coalition was of extreme importance just for my personal story, but also just me moving and being a transplant to the city. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was able to see a lot of these meccas when it comes to outdoor recreation. Being able to visit Denver, Madison, Wisconsin, like a lot of these places that have the infrastructure in place for inclusivity around recreation. And CityCast uh, cities, we'll have yeah, to give yeah. them a shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out. Yeah. Um, But you come to Pittsburgh and you're like, wow, you know, there's a ton of amenities here, but just not not the same amount of recreation. You know, Pittsburgh's the city of cities, (laughs) you know, like everybody has a little uh, township or or a specific space that they recreate in. But it's like you go to some of these other cities and everyone's crossing bridges or borders to recreate in an asset that they feel a high affinity to mm-hmm. and the community welcomes welcomes that group in and recreates alongside the members and when i moved here i was like i don't see that you know no pittsburghers actually make a joke of it they're not going to cross a bridge yeah. they're not going to cross a river i mean it's like the running joke so i mean i move here and i see that and i'm like wow this is crazy you know um pittsburgh has literally every amenity that I I kind of grew up in with Asheville of uh, rivers, mountains, uh, ski resorts, (laughs) you know, a trail that's, you know, expansive. Um, But I don't see my community on it. So, you know, that's how the coalition was built. Um, So that's what we're doing now as as an organization, a nonprofit. I just kind of continued to expedite our need to transition into a 501c3 status, and, and that's where we are today. Well, let's talk about some of those goals. Greater community participation, of mm-hmm. course, um, but how do you imagine uh, the coalition being able to step in and maybe, you know, speak to, for example, a master plan of a space or, you know, kind of be, do you want an advisory capacity? Do you want, like, you know, <laughs> hands in the dirt? What are you feeling? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, we're, we're already doing a lot of those things. So, like, we collaborate very intentionally uh, with the Westinghouse Park Master Plan. Oh, uh, that's a big yeah, one. Yeah, and, and, and it matters a lot to us because of the intersections of the community. You know, Homewood and Point Breeze, I mean, the demographics are, are very different, uh, but the coalition definitely steps in and, and has, you know, a, a flag in the ground with making sure black and brown students from Westinghouse High School are actively involved in this process too because that's what's important to us is like, I, I know <laughs> progress and development is slow, but we need to start thinking about the next generation and involving them through the whole process because I'm I'm searching for someone that's going to replace me. I mean, you know, <laughs> like a, a DEI role, a DEI manager, director, like in a perfect world, there's not a me. I'm just another one of our colleagues walking down the street that cares a lot about recreation but doesn't have to say I'm a black man in this space. So, yeah. Um, I'm looking for that now and trying to instill that because 20, 30 years from now, I'm hoping that we can just be anyone else um, that that cares about these spaces and can, you know, step up and provide for the community in a fashion that historically hasn't been represented. Yeah. Well, I mean, even speaking to the roots, you know, Venture Outdoors, full disclosure, I was on their junior board for a little while. We were <laughs> glorified party planners uh, and dissolved during the pandemic. But I love that, you know, so many of the conversations that we had with what we called the big board um, Uh, and, you know, folks who actually worked there were around, you know, trying to figure out like 
they just seem totally stumped about how to include black and brown people in their planning. Um, And, you know, they do so much in Pittsburgh public schools, but the way most adults interact with them has to do with these, you know, really nice hikes and and good ways to interact with the community. But they're mostly cis, white, hetero, wealthy and older. And that doesn't necessarily speak to the Pittsburgh that I think a lot of us see every day. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we could get down a rabbit hole. Uh, Not to, to, you know, to disrespect any organization because that's not my intentions. It's just we have to frame our mindset differently. Like, communities live this every day. So, like, that's that's what's important to me personally is, I, I mean, family to me is what you make of it. And Pittsburgh is my family right now you know like is there a way that black and brown families um can find a connection outdoors through programs that either i facilitate or through a space that has been developed to include them is a constant mission of myself so you know the ski program the camping program that i facilitate that's just a child you know (laughs) like like i nurture that and care for that and invest so much time in that because I see what it did for me personally. Um, And those connections have to be established, uh, rooted and and definitely nurtured appropriately. Can you give me some hard examples of something that you want to accomplish maybe in the next year? (laughs) Well, I think I'm I'm kind of a, a data person because I think that's extremely important. Like, if you can display the importance of interaction through data, then you're making real drastic change and intentional change. So for me, I think the camping program that we have, the urban camping, uh, if 100 students uh, specifically in a segmentation, the north side, uh, complete this program and go through the camping program, I think that's a success uh, in year one. Now, as we continue to expand and kind of proliferate uh, the importance of this tool and this asset, you know, camping in our regional parks to further facilitate exploration. Then it becomes to me like one kid from every block in the city of Pittsburgh has been through our program, has camped in a a localized park because that's a story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. That's the true interactions with nature and community that no other city would be able to, to say. So is camping allowed in the city of Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh parks? (laughs) Well, um, there's some complexity around this. So I would say, (laughs) I would say, I think uh, I've heard this complaint before actually. Yeah. So, so I would say, um, not complaint roadblock barrier. The context of everything is the coalition ever since 2019 has been 2019 has been pushing for an urban camping designation. There's other cities that have this, uh, what we're really intentional on is, uh, providing a designation this year uh, through the legislation that has been approved that would allow uh, groups of after-school care, educators, anyone who takes youth and family out to apply for a permit that would allow you 24-hour access to Riverview Park in mm-hmm. just that just one site. It's called Watson's Cabin. It's going to be a campground. Uh, our, you know, the community's 10-year goal there is to revitalize the site because it, it used to be a site that would host um, the Boy Scouts for trips okay. back in like the, the 70s. You can tell it used to be cute. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it used to be cute. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it, uh, it, 
it has a lot of history that again it's it's just those stories that historically have kind of been lost and, and thrown to the wayside and there's just you know mm-hmm. uh ancestors in the community that are holding on to a story that you know it has profound meaning and when you turn it into a modern amenity it becomes so much more profound and impactful so yeah i mean the hope is to have students camping there this summer uh and continuing to expand a pilot program to reach into other regional parks. And maybe it sparks a passion that, you know, grows into something big where they do want to do a backcountry trip or they do want to, like, talk all their friends, you know, five years down the line in college and to go in to do something. But that's because they were exposed as nine or ten year olds in the city of Pittsburgh. Exactly. Yeah, exploration starts anywhere, but I want it to be in our backyard. So that's important. Yeah. And then you're also working on um, addressing incidents when people are targeted based on their identity. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Um, Yeah, we created an inclusionary incident report, and I think uh, the importance of it is so profound with the intersections of what we do. So um, as an organization, we're like, oh, yeah, we produce programs, but like we can't prevent people from (laughs) from going outside and getting racially targeted or seeing, uh, hearing or experiencing something that will uh, stick with them and actually never provide them the thought of going back outside again. You can create resources, but you can't keep the community from running. For sure. Ruining it. Yeah. So uh, that's how the Inclusionary Incident Report was was established, was to provide a tool publicly accessible for community to say, hey, I just kind of had this weird experience where, uh, you know, I'm disabled and there's no ADA accessibility in this space. Mm -hmm. That's not an awesome experience, but we want you to report it so we can quantify that year over year. You know, if you start to think about some of the public spaces, if you can say uh, 10%, so like five out of, you know, 50 people that recreated in that space had some kind of racialized incident. That's what causes real change because there's data to support it. So, And are those reports that you plan to put out, you know, annually, semi-annually, something like that? Yeah, quarterly is, is the frequency. Um, we had one report uh, go out in 2022 for quarter four. Um, so we have some, some data that's available as we speak on that. What'd you find? Uh <laughs> Uh, high frequency of, of people being racially targeted on the gap trail, uh, at least by the reports that we received. But again, we haven't cross-referenced that with a full year, year of data. And also we haven't quantified it as a per interaction experience. So like how I don't know how they haven't released yet how many people hit the gap trail last year. Right. Yeah. So once that is available, I can start to kind of break things down. Uh, and see the frequency of these things. But obviously you can see the importance of this once we end 2024 and 2025. It's like we have a solid data set at that point of two, three years of information. We can start to track uh, not only the frequency, but if it's increasing or decreasing based off of uh, someone kind of touching the levers and, and manipulating the marketplace and the spaces that we hold. So, um, so we need to start to understand that and that level of detail intersects in so many different fashions, you know. And that's just one small space. Just one. So you're collecting data from any outdoor space in or around the city. Any. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Imagine the impact that <laughs> that we could have. So, yeah, I think as we continue to to receive data because it's coming in um, and we're able to collaborate with public land managers and and space holders there's a lot of positive change that could come out of this so um, i'm excited for the fact that we've 
we've established a tool that the community feels comfortable in using for one, uh, but two, that, you know, there's communication with the city of Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, Parks and Rec, you know. Are they taking it uh, seriously? DCNR, yeah, yeah, uh, that, that actually care about this stuff because it'd be different if we were just collecting it and didn't see any impact, mm -hmm. you know, like we're actually seeing some, some change occur in these spaces, which is, is really cool. Marcus Schaffner is the still a somewhat new Pittsburgher. Um, we're so glad you moved to the city. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing around this and our outdoor spaces. Thank you. A little more news before you go. Speaking of the outdoors, new artwork is popping up in the city's five public parks, including a mural honoring the birds of Shenley Park, a climbable yellow fence by the Highland Park Pool, and an abstract steel sculpture in Emerald View Park. WESA's Bill O'Driscoll reports that Frick and Riverview are getting new art, too. The installations were designed by artists from all over the country, including a few Pittsburghers, and funded through a grant from the Allegheny Regional Asset District. And a little Penn's update, leadership waited exactly zero minutes to fire the general manager, Ron Hextall, missing the playoffs for the first time in 16 years with three older and very expensive player anchors isn't great for your job security. President of Hockey Operations Brian Burke and assistant GM Chris Pryor are also out. A search is underway. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you've got an idea for the show or you just want to say hey, get in our DMs. That's at CityCastPGH on Instagram and on Twitter. Or send us an email, pittsburgh at citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. You got some big goals. <laughs> uh, well, you, you got to shoot for the stars.